How does antimicrobial resistance impact Ontario's small ruminant industry? And what are the best health management practices for sheep and goats? Hi everyone, welcome to the next episode of the FAST podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Roach. This podcast series is brought to you by the Farmed Animal Antimicrobial Stewardship Initiative, or FAST for short. This series explores how antimicrobial resistance impacts livestock production, what antimicrobial stewardship looks like in daily practice, and the different views on challenges and potential solutions to reducing our reliance on antimicrobials moving forward. Today we're speaking with Dr. Paula Menzies, a recently retired professor from the University of Guelph, who has devoted over four decades of her career to improving the health of sheep and goats. So, let's get into it. So welcome, Paula. Thanks very much for doing this. Well, thank you for inviting me. So we've been chatting with a a number of different people, uh, just trying to get their take on antimicrobial resistance and stewardship. Um, Some of them are researchers, some of them are farmers, some of them are veterinarians. So a wide uh, range of of perspectives, and we're interested in yours today in the small ruminant sectors. Um, And I wonder if we can start, I mean, you've had an exceptional career at the University of Guelph working largely in small ruminants. um, And... You know, we want to get a little bit of a feel, especially for those that are listening, about your work. So can you tell us, you know, what gets you excited about some of the work you've done uh, over the years in small ruminants? Well, I've certainly um, been involved in a lot of different aspects of small ruminants, and I think I've enjoyed it all. Um, Worked mostly with the sheep sheep sectors, pardon me, but also uh, with uh, uh, dairy goats, gastrointestinal parasitism, amidivisna, antimicrobial use and, and resistance, of course. Uh, Coxiella burnetti, the cause of Q fever. There's a long mm-hmm. list. There's sure. a long list. and um, But the focus has mostly been on trying to figure out ways to control or prevent or eradicate disease and, uh, and assist the farmers with that and veterinarians, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So resistance is like top of mind in a lot of different commodities, Paula, um, and you've done a lot of work on it as well. So just kind of backing this up, where do we use the most antibiotics on uh, in a small ruminant farm? So say like a goat dairy, sheep uh, dairy. Well, yeah. based on our research, individual animal treatment is probably uh, post lambing or kidding, mm-hmm. um, but on a disease control, it's definitely pneumonia. Pneumonia's um, and, and to groups of animals. Pneumonia has got to be one of the most important diseases of young stock on not just sheep, but also on goats, mm. the kids in particular. Um, so uh, they may try to treat individual animals, but on a lot of our farms, we just we have large groups of animals, so they may mass medicate. Right. So what do you th- what do you think? Are we using the antibiotics as responsibly as we can? How do you th- how do you think things are right now? Well, there's there's a <laughs> so the short answer is no, not as well as we could, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of barriers to mm-hmm. doing a good job. Um, I don't think that there's any producer or veterinarian out there that would that would want to see us misuse antibiotics, but it becomes very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back to pneumonia, um, which is mostly a problem because of inadequate air quality, uh, stocking densities. I mean, we have winter. We have six months of winter. Sometimes it feels like 12 months of winter. Um, and that increases the um, cost of production as well as 
And I mean, barns are expensive, so you increase stocking density and immediately you start to get pneumonia issues. Mm-hmm. Um, other problems, of course, related to um, using antibiotics well is, is, um, is access to licensed for, for small ruminants. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've made some, some good progress with sheep in, in getting more drugs licensed um, including um, antibiotics, and that's always good because we want to be able to rely on label claims, um, particularly when it comes to withdrawals and dosage, dosages and frequency and indications and all those things. But there's nothing licensed for goats, and a lot of times when veterinarians go to a farm, they are um, maybe relying on information which may not be completely the best information. (laughs) So it might be that they're saying, well, it works in cows, therefore I can use it Uh here. And Uh um, so I've I've heard uh, more than one veterinarian uh, tell me they didn't remember when I told them never to use (laughs) Micotil in in goats. I know I told them all. <laughs> they might have skipped that lecture. Maybe. Well, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps. So, I mean, there, there, there's all kinds of challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, above them, you know, like we love to be able to say you don't have to use anything extra label on dairy cows, mm-hmm. right? That would be the, the, that's the gold standard. Right. Um, we are definitely not there with small ruminants. And in some cases, we are still in the swamp. Mm-hmm. So what can producers do uh, whenever they think that they need an antibiotic or need to treat an animal? What's the best thing that a producer can do? Well, um, so back when we did uh, our research on on antimicrobial use, um, we found that um, uh, a very minority, less than 9 out of 10 times, sorry, less than 1 out of 10 times, uh, was a veterinarian involved in any treatment decision okay. on that farm. And, and that, to me, was a, a bit of a shock. And the way we phrased the question was not did the veterinarian administer the antibiotic, but did the, was the veterinarian involved in anything to do with any kind of treatment decision? And, and so that means producers are basically reading the label and saying, this, or not reading the label, and relying on mm-hmm. some other source of information, mm-hmm. um, or what worked in the past or what didn't work in the past. So, so clearly that's a huge place where, where veterinarians can try to improve things by, by discussing what's appropriate, um, you know, creating uh, treatment protocols. Um, we, they do need a prescription. I will be frank that I have received more than one comment from producers that are very unhappy about that requirement because they believe that they cannot get access to antibiotics now. Um, they may live in a part of Canada where, um, where there aren't that many veterinarians or, or veterinarians that are interested in, in small ruminants or know anything about small ruminants. Mm-hmm. We get that comment a lot, I know more than my vet. Mm-hmm. And so why should I need my vet to get antibiotics when I know exactly what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, that's an area, again, that we need to, to improve a great deal. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that why you think that, it, that sort of knowledge bit, why um, we don't have as many vet-client-patient relationships as we might like to see or consistent visits to the farm? Um, yeah, the vet-client-patient relationship is is um, open to interpretation in some producers' minds. 
about what that entails. Mm-hmm. And um, and they may not necessarily the, see the benefit in, other, in anything else other than just trying to minimally satisfy whatever that is. Um, and that might be talking to the vet on the phone once a year mm-hmm. or, or less um, and, and only getting telephone advice. They really like telephone advice <laughs> because <laughs> they don't have to pay for it. And um, I must admit that over the years I've told more than one sheep producer group that veterinarians are not missionaries and they know a lot about what they get paid to know about. Um, so if you, if, you, if you don't pay them anything, then you get exactly what you pay for. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, those are kind of harsh words, but it and but that's that's only a description of the problem. That's not a solution, mm-hmm. right? And and so we we have worked, and and that's why Small Rent Vets of Ontario got formed was was in a large part to say there's a lot of vets out there that want to work with small ruminants. Mm-hmm. They may feel like they're ill prepared. Mm. Um, uh, so that's why we have the continuing education, but also to to advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, on the veterinary side for a lot of national or, or provincial issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those, of course, is, is working with CG Farad to try and uh, get better information. That can be very frustrating because right now a veterinarian says, well, I've got a dairy goat herd and they've got uh, sick does and I want to use uh, trimethoprim sulfa. Mm-hmm. What's the milk withdrawal? And you get back information. You got to test the milk. Well, that's not that's not an answer. Mm-hmm. the 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 producer needs to have a treatment protocol that he knows is going to work. So that's a barrier. That's a barrier. And we were working with CG Farad to try and figure out how we can improve this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Kathy Bauman's been doing some some work depletion study work, um, which is critical, so that we can give sound advice mm-hmm. to these guys about. Um, particularly on the on the milk side of things, which is their money, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. And I've I've heard producers say, well, I won't use antibiotics because I'm afraid of getting you know residues in the tank. And you go, well, is that animal suffering then? Right? Mm-hmm. We have to find that happy medium. It isn't going to be without a lot of work. Yep. Yep. Some of those things you mentioned, Paul, and just before we started, you mentioned about the quality assurance programs that maybe yep. tackle more than one area here. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, the, uh, the on-farm, on-farm food safety program that the sheep industry developed, which is, um, uh, meets international standards, is, is really about prudent use and, and, and recording treatments and proper storage. I mean, there's nothing, you know, dynamic and different than there would be for any of the other sectors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not obligatory. Uh, which would be lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Although, you know, keep the government out, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But anyways, it's not obligatory, which means that the training in some provinces has been taken up well, which I guess is 30% of the battle. The audited program has not been taken up well. So we've, I think there's been a lot of training of producers on how to properly manage and, and deliver drugs, but not so much on the uh, knowing exactly what it is they're doing. Mm-hmm. How are we doing in Ontario? Um, or do we know? I don't know. Okay. I don't think there's very many that... I, because a lot of it is done online, I don't, I don't really have a sense personally of mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there, you know, the old livestock medicines program where they did a lot of CE. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot, even that was hugely beneficial. Um, would be nice to see some more of that, mm-hmm. but it, yeah. I think I'll just leave that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we've digitized the livestock medicines uh, program. Uh, so www.amstewardship.ca. Oh, yeah. We've taken, dusted off the old books and uh, and tried to modernize it a little yeah. bit. So there's a lot of really good information in mm-hmm. there, and you know I think some producers know, but like for example, you know the internet ordering. I had a client that had a drug not an antibiotic that they had ordered on the internet mm-hmm. and oh because it was cheaper and i pointed out to them that because they ordered it from some online company with a address that wasn't real that we had actually no idea what was in there yeah <laughs> and it what the, oh really <laughs> <laughs> and i said if you buy a product which is and this product is licensed in canada for sheep so it wasn't like, you know, I couldn't get it for this animal, therefore right. I had to order yeah. it on the internet. Yeah. But there's a lot of, they, they look for cost savings, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's always news to them when maybe it isn't a big cost saving. Yeah. yeah. Or the risk that they're taking by saving a bit here, you know, and the quality of the product that they're yeah. bringing in. Yes. A story that was told to me by a veterinarian in the UK was, it, it's a bit of an old story now, but there was a... Um, a, an anthelmintic for sheep that was used widely, is used still widely in the, in, in the world. And a company, a generic company in the UK was selling it. And um, it was apparently financed by the IRA, uh, the Irish Republican Army. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when they, t- <laughs> just in case people are thinking that was, you know, the uh, <laughs> Internal IG. Revenue yeah, Agency. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> When they analyzed the drug, it actually had no ivermectin in it. Oops, I mean, yeah. sorry, <laughs> delete that. <laughs> it had no anthelmintic in it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, so sometimes you have to be very, very careful of those uh, fly-by-night. You'd like to think that that's an old story, but in a previous, uh, my previous position, I used to test all sorts of white powder, mysterious white powder that was being uh, marketed as a certain antibiotic and we couldn't detect any of that antibiotic in that Mm. yeah so so definitely definitely not an issue what what is going back to the prudent use thing um antibiotics in the feed and water when we did our study a number of years ago when we we followed drug use on, on 50 farms and we didn't find a huge number of farms that were using antibiotics in the feed but it by prescription. Now, of course, it's all by prescription. And I have had a number of emails from veterinarians saying, should I be writing a script for this? I've never done this before. Mm-hmm. And I go back to the literature, which shows that, for example, tetracycline is poorly bioavailable. And when we did our study, what one of the main things that came up associated with anti- antimicrobial resistance was the use of antibiotics in feed. Mm-hmm. So you say that's not the most prudent right. way of dealing. And they're trying to control, I think, primarily pneumonia. In some cases, it's, it's abortion diseases. Mm-hmm. And, the, the, and so vaccines, we also have a lack of, of good vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, there are no vaccines, but in some cases, I can look over to Europe or to Australia or even to the U.S. and I go, man, like, I wish we had that vaccine. And, uh, and then we wouldn't have to, you know, use as a, as a stopgap 
mm-hmm. antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so when they talk about alternatives to antibiotics, number one thing that should be anybody's head should be vaccine. Mm-hmm. And so we do need, and, and you know, like, yes, we do need to submit, you know, um, or the company needs to submit a proposal to get it licensed to make sure that it's, you know, efficacious and it's not dangerous and so yep. on. Yep. But, but somehow there has to be a public good component of that. Mm-hmm. And we need to get, particularly for minor species and, mm-hmm. and minor uses as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Paula, you hit on a couple of areas where that we would sort of classify under just antimicrobial stewardship broadly, yeah. some of the practices that can be taken up and, um, what, what, in your opinion, are some of the biggest things that small ruminant producers can do uh, if we don't have a lot of alternatives in terms of treatment? You know, um, the quality assurance program you mentioned, there's a biosecurity yeah. component. What does that look like for, for producers? So, so going back to the actual antimicrobial use, I mean, absolutely working with your veterinarian to set up treatment pro- protocols, just like dairy, just like swine, just mm-hmm. like poultry. And, and to revisit those protocols frequently enough so that they are reflective of what's going on in the flock or herd, particularly if there's treatment failure issues. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and to go along with, with you know, pneumonia, of course, is, is looking at air quality uh, and ammonia, air changes, humidity, all those good things, mm-hmm. which everybody kind of shudders. As veterinarians, we go, and man, you, I have no idea how to solve this problem. So we need to have more ag engineers working with veterinarians to, mm-hmm. to try and address some of these. And I mean, these ag engineers are awesome when it comes to, say, poultry or, 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 or uh, swine, a little less used to maybe working in ruminant barns. Mm-hmm. But it's critical there, critical mm-hmm. there. Um, so that's, that's the antimicrobial use component. Better relationship with CG Farad so we can give... Um, advice on on the extra label drug use mm-hmm. that's timely, not repetitive, <laughs> and so on. Um, and if we're missing data, then we need to fund that data. Um, on the biosecurity, yeah, biosecurity is very important for for small ruminants, I think, and um, uh, maybe not as much for the antimicrobial use component, but for a lot of disease control programs overall. Mm-hmm. Go back to infectious, infectious abortion. Oh man, it's so prevalent, mm-hmm. so prevalent compared to to dairy. I mean, it's it, yeah. like sorry, cattle. I should say it's mm-hmm. just a giant issue. Hmm. Um, and as I said, a lot of guys are relying on antibiotics to control it because we don't have vaccines. Mm-hmm. Can you prevent some of that stuff with biosecurity? I, I, yes, um, but most of the time we're probably looking at animal introductions with respect to some of these chronic wasting diseases. Right. Um, Within farm biosecurity, yes. Um, having a sick area, um, having, you know, controlled access zones and restricted access zones and all those things. I remember, I'm getting old, geez. I remember a few <laughs> few decades ago talking about biosecurity to sheep producers, and there was a sheep dealer, really nice guy, well-respected in the industry, muttering loudly enough under his breath so that I could hear him, even though he was at the back of the room, Sheep aren't pigs. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually said, no, they're a lot like pigs. Yeah. <laughs> when, you look, when you look at some of the infectious diseases that can be transmitted, sheep, yeah. we, we could learn so much from, the, from uh, yeah. swine producers. Yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. 
Sheep just don't oink. That's the only thing. <laughs> and they have wool. <laughs> and they don't smell as bad. Well, technically, yes, but practically. But, yeah. but, but on the biosecurity side, yeah. I, I wish we thought more about that mm-hmm. um, because there are a lot of those infectious diseases which we see spread like crazy through flocks and herds. And, and um, you know, I remember um, a client that had a buck that he'd bought three years earlier uh, dying of Yoni's disease, and he bought it as a, as a two-year-old. And you knew that he bought an animal that was infected, and now he'd been running around the herd for three years, mm-hmm. and we had to deal with that over the next decade, you know, so, or longer, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, yeah, the Trojan, the Trojan horse, the Trojan mm-hmm. buck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In this case, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. So one of the diseases, infectious-wise, that you've done a lot of work with is, is parasitism in, in small ruminants. So I was wondering if you could just take us through some of the work that you've done. Uh, wow. Where are we now and uh, where are we heading? So, yeah, it's been 13 years. It feels a lot longer than that. Mm. But when we started working with uh, doing research on gastrointestinal nematodes, we weren't even sure what the normal patterns of infection were or what parasites we were seeing. And then somewhere about 10 years ago, um, we started seeing a lot of sheep dying of hemonchosis and moncus contortus, mm-hmm. which is, um, uh, lives in the abomasum and sucks blood. And so it kills the animals from anemia or, or, or low protein. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty, pretty dramatic. It's extremely pathogenic. And it's originally a tropical parasite, so the, so the Everybody was quite surprised that it was such an issue up here in the north in the cold. But mm. homonchus has um, is a very epidemiologically very different than say if you went to Georgia, um, which has led us to us our own unique set of problems. And we we found widespread anthelmintic resistance, and when our de- our, our producers were not using a lot of dewormers, but they were deworming in the barn in the winter, which is like, let's clean them out, bring them in, get them off pasture, they're not exposed anymore, clean out what's there, and then they'll be healthy in the spring. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of years, because homonchus infective larvae don't live on pasture in the winter, after, when it gets below zero, they die, mm-hmm. which meant the only par- homonchus that were surviving on those farms were the resistant ones inside sure. the sheep. Uh, gotcha. And so th- we believe that's probably why. So we, we, first of all, we described sort of the normal way parasites act in our flocks and uh, including the peripatrian egg rise we described the anthelmintic resistance and then we tried to look at ways to manage that mm-hmm. anthelmintic resistance um, and one of them was doing targeted selective treatment which mm-hmm. selecting ewes at lambing um, so that they we didn't deworm the whole flock mm-hmm. and we were only deworming those that were carrying the heavy load and uh and that worked out really well. And then, uh, of course, there's a lot of interest on, on the part of producers to know um, uh, whether or not they could breed sheep that were immune or resistant. Mm. Resistant. And so we, we kind of looked around at the literature, and there was a, 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 a t- an, an immune test uh, developed in New Zealand called the CARLA salivary test, CARLA standing for carbohydrate larval antigen on the infective third stage larva and you measure it's IgA and you measure it in the saliva of the sheep and they in New Zealand they demonstrated that that they could select based on 
antibody status and, and select animals that were develop this immunity more quickly. So mm -hmm. we just finished a project, two-year project, where we looked at that in a flock here in Ontario, and very promising. Because oh, really? we didn't, Jeez. we weren't sure what was going to happen when these sheep weren't being exposed to the infective larva for six months. Mm -hmm. But amazingly, as soon as they got exposed again in the spring, they 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 developed uh, uh, immune response, response, really strong one, which suggests wow. they they did remember. And and parasites are immunologically very difficult. Mm -hmm. They it's not like a virus or a bacteria that they don't often keep immunity for more than three months to it. Um, but in this case, it looks it looked good, and so our next step we're hoping is is to um, use this test in a, in a large number of flocks uh, to select replacement stock, oh, nice. and and then evaluate the uh, inheritance mm -hmm. of it under our conditions. As I said, it was developed in New Zealand where they pasture year round. Here right. we only pasture like half the year, so mm -hmm. quite different. But we're working with the people in New Zealand, and I think this is going to be better than any of the current gene tests around, which have all kinds of issues. But uh, in the meantime, we've, we've made all our data uh, available to, um, to the genomics group here on campus, so we're working very closely with them to see if oh, they can see, identify, I don't even know what genomics does, but you know, <laughs> like so far, markers. I think there's like seven, well, no, it's even more than markers. Yeah. It's actually how do, how do different genes respond to oh, infection. Nice. Yeah. At the, um, wow. in this case, we were looking at the liver. It would be better to look at the abomasum. It was a little <laughs> more difficult for us to do. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so there's, there's a whole other level of science that we're, we're sort of working with those guys to oh, see if we cool. can develop stuff. But in the interim, I think we can sort of move ahead with the Carla and, and, and see how that works. So that's, sorry, that's sort of what we've been doing. That's very cool. Not, not yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. It is cool. And, and, um, and we've also tried a lot on the education part. Like we, mm -hmm. we wrote a handbook in 2009 and just rewrote it in 2019 um, to try and give a framework for veterinarians and producers to use. That's, you know, your integrated parasite management mm -hmm. program. Mm -hmm. uh, looking, and we call it the Five Star Worm Plan. I didn't name it, but five I really like it. Five Star Worm Plan. I like five that. Star <laughs> Worm Plan, yes. <laughs> five stars to hang the different aspects, you know, mm -hmm. so managing the pasture contamination and using anthelmintics correctly mm -hmm. and uh, only treating animals that need it when they need it and mm -hmm. uh, preventing introduction of resistance and, you know, those kinds of things. Okay. So it's, um, yeah. And this is open for anyone. Uh, could you provide a link then? Yes, actually, Ontario Sheep Mark. Sorry, Ontario Sheep Farmers oh. has it uh, on Excellent. their website. Yeah, Excellent. yeah. So they I'll can download it for is. free. Mm -hmm. um, I know they printed out a bunch of them, but I don't know if they have any more printed copies. But yeah. certainly, anybody can download it. Oh, great! And yeah, we'll make that available. Yeah, as I said, we've we try to update it, particularly integrating our research into it. So mm -hmm. that all great. our research that I've been talking about has been integrated into the. Nice. The handbook. Mm -hmm. We actually um, was contacted and by the Japanese imperial household, wow. <laughs> and they translated it into Japanese. Oh, nice! <laughs> wow. <There you> go. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. It, I mean, there's there's other resources out there as well, mm -hmm. um, which we don't try to duplicate. We try to complement sure. as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. So the information's out there. Yeah. The information is out there. Yeah. <gasps> yes. Good. Yeah.
Paula, I got one sort of broader question for you um, along the lines of, you know, that that story in terms of how things have progressed for anthelm research oh, yes. and resistance. What does the future of antimicrobial use in small ruminants look like? Do you see some of these alternative options coming? Do you see more drugs coming licensed or, or do we have to focus our so, efforts elsewhere? So nationally, um, there's the sheet value chain roundtable, which actually they've, uh, they've just changed. I, and, I, and so they're not by... They're not by commodity anymore, but the so I'm hoping that this initiative won't be lost. But we have a, a sheep working group and a goat working group on health strategies, and one of the things that we've done is we've identified um, drugs and, and vaccines for licensure, and then we go to the companies and lobby, and uh, to and so we've had some good successes on the sheep side of things. Um, and I, I'm not sure without that national voice that we would have had as much success. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need a similar kind of success rate with goats. Um, and, uh, and certainly we've identified the drugs that we want to get licensed and we've justified it and they've gone out to the companies. Um, I don't know of what's going on in that particular regard, mm-hmm. which um, again, having, having that, as I said, having the national initiative is important to get a national voice, um, veterinarians and producers, uh, as well as government people on board. Um, but you still need to have a good economic case, and that's where we really struggle. Mm-hmm. And because ultimately it's pharmaceutical companies are in it to generate a little Make revenue. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yes. And they can do some public good, but they got to still see, uh, you know, they can't lose money no. and, and we can't guarantee that. So our need is great. Uh, their, their ability to deliver is, is maybe not as great as our need. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where it comes back to CG Farad, um, of, of having, of having a, 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 uh, readily accessible guidance on dose withdrawals, that kind of indications mm-hmm. and so on, mm-hmm. when we don't have that label. How, are we going to make any progress? Um, so I said I was old, and I remember <laughs> sitting in a meeting room probably in 1985 having this same discussion. And now I feel like we've made some progress, mm-hmm. but it probably took 20 years for us oh to get gosh, the yeah. first one licensed. Right. Well, it's it's a it's and so I'm extremely grateful to the pharmaceutical companies that have mm-hmm. st- stepped up. Mm-hmm. Can't say enough about that. Um, and we need them to step up more. And and the other thing is that the veterinary drug directed has has explored ways to try and improve that. So for example, um, having a new drug licensed in Australia, New Zealand, and Canada all at the same time. Right. Yeah. I mean that was like. A, a huge gift to to not not just to veterinarians and producers, but to the animals that benefited from that. Yeah. Um, so those kinds of initiatives, I, I wouldn't say that it's it's not because we haven't created an awareness. It's just still getting to that point of success mm-hmm. is going to be a continued struggle. Great. Excellent. Well, thanks very much, Paula. We appreciate your time and your feedback. All right. And thank you very much. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening today. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Remember to check back with this podcast as we're going to continue putting up new podcasts on this issue. And we're also working on other tools and resources for both veterinarians and producers. 
all focused on antimicrobial resistance and the practice of antimicrobial stewardship. You can find these tools and resources at www.amstewardship.ca. FAST is a collaborative initiative between the Ontario Veterinary Medical Association, ACER Consulting, government, academic, and industry partners, and its mission is to improve antimicrobial stewardship in farmed animals, prepare farmed animal owners and their veterinarians for policy and regulatory changes, and ultimately to preserve the efficacy of antimicrobials without compromising animal health or food safety. Thanks for listening.